0: You're listening to Rocks Heart Radio. In this episode, Roxana Moran talks with David Albert, Bray Patrick Lake, Renato Lopez, and Deepak Bot about wearable devices and what lies ahead.
1: Hello, it's Roxana Moran coming to you on Rocks Heart Radio. You like that?
2: I love it. So Great. I'm
1: really, really privileged to have this amazing panel here with me. So I'm going to introduce you each: uh, Bray Patrick Lay- Lake. Uh, Deepak Bhatt, David Albert, Roxana Moran, and Renato Lopez. Wow, what an incredible panel. Thank you so much for joining me. I thought that a radio show is so much more sort of user-friendly because it could be a wearable. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? That's a nice tie-in, first of all. <laughs> it's a tie-in to our conversation because we're talking about wearables today. But but I think really important is, is the fact that the burnout that we as physicians are feeling with electronic health records and our patients having absolutely no access to us, and we're constantly behind that computer screen. So to have yet another thing to listen to for educational content behind the com- computer screen, I think that this is a good medium for us to, to talk to each other uh, and then have that conversation be wearable and <laughs> portable and everywhere you go you can listen to podcasts. I, I don't know if you guys listen to podcasts but I think they're sometimes enjoyable. So the radio show is very relaxed. Nobody's looking at what we look like. It's great. So we're just going to talk about wearables. Today we heard a lot about wearables. So does everybody own an, uh, an Apple watch?
2: No, I don't I actually want don't. Watch. Watch.
1: Nope. Yes. You do. So do I. I got oh, one. Wow. I got one with the EKG. Yes. Thing. But you got,
3: I you have this is the Omron Heart Guide, the first FDA cleared blood pressure watch.
2: Oh. So I need this that. will
3: actually take my blood. I've, I've taken about 8 today.
1: Really? Yeah, it bounces around. Are you becoming around. like a little bit too well, you obsessed know, I, with your blood <laughs> pressure? I'm trying
3: to see I'm trying to see if my <laughs> medication's working.
4: Yeah, that's
1: good. Oh, but 8 times in the day? I well, I, I, that's this a was little a little bit much. It's an experiment. David. An experiment, yes. wow, that's interesting.
3: And I'm also compulsive, so.
1: Yeah. Well, um, what do you all think about these wearables? There's a lot of hype about it. Deepak, I'm going to go right to you.
2: Well, you know, I, I think it almost doesn't matter what I think or what any of us think because patients love them and people love them. So not even identified patients, just healthy folks out there. So no matter what I say, it doesn't really matter because people are going to be using these. And I predict in the future the penetration will be even higher, especially as prices drop. I think virtually everyone will be wearing one of these eventually. It's sort of like an iPhone or uh, an Android. Basically, everyone has them, and not just in the U.S., you know, worldwide at this point. Uh, Even in rural India, people have, you know, cell phone connectivity these days. So I think it doesn't really matter what I think, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. I think doctors have got to be poised to get this, you know, inundation of further data that they may not want, but will have to react to in some way. And, and for that reason, I think the study that was presented today is really important because it's at least using the scientific method to approach a problem and see, okay, this is the sort of data we're getting. What is it telling us? What might we be able to do with it in the future that actually helps people?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, and we're going to get to the study a little bit because I think the Apple Watch study is int- very, very interesting. I mean, I was wowed. That one in 600 U.S. adults were actually enrolled in the study. That yes. was sort of the, the 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 math in my head, and I bet Bray, you love that study, right? I mean, you you've been such an advocate for patients, and we, I, and I'm going to say I love my Apple Watch. I, I have to tell you, I love that I can turn off somebody's uh, phone conversa- phone call <laughs> immediately with the touch of a button. I I don't have to be connected if I don't want to, and I. And I could get my EKG reading, so and I don't have any. I'm a, I'm one of the young people in the young, very young people in the in the study. <laughs> but but Bray um, oh, well, you, what
2: you're the, in the study. No, I'm not. Oh. <laughs> I
1: wish I was, but I'm not. But I am, I am, I am looking at it. I'm almost sort of, sort of mesmerized by the whole thing. Uh, although I wasn't wowed with the study. So we'll come back about the study. But I want to get back to the patients, uh, Bray, What? Why do patients love this? And What do you think is the future for this?
0: So I think what patients love about it is when the technology actually creates value. So I would say there's a value and better understanding of disease, transition to disease, and an overall uh, picture of a person's health our clinical encounters are just a tiny fraction of really, you know, our lives. And so what else can we learn about our lifestyle? And in cardiovascular health, it's incredibly important because we're not just our genetics, we're not just our diet, we're not just our lifestyle, we're not just our sleep, all of those things come together. And so I think what we can collect on the data side, um, and I am a proponent of evidence, you know, evidence generation and so rigorous collection, and we wanna know what tools work and don't. But the value then comes with, what do we do with the information? So if you're playing tennis and you hit the ball over the fence and nobody hits it back, it's not fun. So we're going to have to work on, you know, how do we integrate this into the clinician-patient relationship and what do we do with this information? Um, I was using um, a technology at one point where my cardiologist said, okay, you know, download this, let's do some rhythm strips on the phone. Well, guess what happened? At the end of it was a bunch of noise and artifacts, <laughs> so nothing happened. So right. I paid for it, I got no value. That is, is not useful. Um, as we think about you know, I I like to think the value of the extension of a high touch experience. So, you know, I know physicians are struggling with the burnout that was addressed this morning and how much time we're spending in EHR rather than connecting with a person. But if we can think about what technology allows us to do that extends that care encounter and makes that a more high touch experience that's positive for both physician and for patient, then I think that creates value. And then lastly, I'll just say the research potential, the frictionless uh, participation, and the ability to capture you know 400,000 people enrolling in a matter of months, and opening up people that you know, we never would have found ourselves and invited to research, because patients are often waited, waiting to be invited. You know, it just changed that whole paradigm, so I am excited about the research potential.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you just put it so beautifully. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, what we saw today and what, what I believe the potential uh, implications of this kind of wear- wearables are, are, are limitless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say though I, I, I think it was great that they got five, almost 500,000 patients, you know 42 percent women a good diverse patient population but mostly young healthy individuals mm-hmm. and I always wondered is this uh, I, I keep telling them uh, is this for rich rich people um, and and how do we you know how do we extend this uh, beyond and then what did we get out of this study? Bernardo, you were uh, one of the uh, one of the, on the panel today uh, discussing the study, and you're presenting an AFib study later on today. Congratulations on Augustus. Thank you. By the way, you need I know that you did a lot of work on that. Uh, so see, I can just say no. Nope. Somebody just called me, and I just shut them off, <laughs> and nobody's <laughs> hearing. Isn't that great? Here's that a perfect use of the iPhone. Somebody just <laughs> called me, and I shut them off. So uh, of the iWatch. So tell me, um, tell me what what was your what was your excitement? The positive. Let's talk about the positives, and then tell me what was what you were underwhelmed by.
4: Yeah. So I think that study today. Um, It's a really good, the way I I think I would put it, is a really good first step. Because I think what all of us are are struggling now is, how can we transform data into information? Everybody has data in different ways. But how can that be transformed in a way that is meaningful information that can help? And I think we're struggling with that in different ways. So uh, I think this study adds, and answer a few steps on a very complex puzzle. Again, it's a very complex puzzle, uh, how to manage these big data and how to make it helpful, and how to help patients. But I think uh, they bring some important clarifications uh, in those different steps. So that's a one positive part. The second part that I got really fascinated by was the methodological around that. I mean, to be able to randomize almost half Million people
1: they in didn't eight randomize, it open-label ra- uh, yeah, study, sorry, but to still, in, incredible, include, incredible. To
4: include, you're right, single-arm study, but to include, to enroll almost half a million people incredible. in eight months, and then how do they work with consent, I mean, how do they uh, got patients to get invited to participate? Partic- participate? So I think the methods, I, I want to learn more about those methods, because I think that methodology mm-hmm is gonna be setting up the stage for us to move from that point on and continue to improve. So I think that's a highlight for me, much more than the results per se, because I think the results are, there are some interesting things that were we'll answered. I don't think we had the full picture figured out, but I think the methodological aspects is important and it's definitely uh, a good first step.
1: I, I'm gonna call this the world's largest feasibility study. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? I and mean, sure. I think, and what we're hearing I think from uh, you know from patients is that we better figure out how to incorporate this because Correct. this is what people are going to want. But the positive predictive value was not that great. Uh, for the whole part was 0.71. With the patch it was a little bit improved. Um, I know you've, uh, you, uh, David, tell us what what was your feeling about the study? Overall oh. what's your futuristic thinking? You're wearing a lot of attachments attached to you here today. I'm sure you're into it so Tell us what you think.
3: Well, I believe we're just at the beginning. So wearables are in a nascent stage and the Apple Watch has brought to probably millions of people the capability to monitor in the background their rhythm and provide these notifications. Now the question is, is that good or bad? Uh, It's good if it's a positive a true positive result and you get treated and that treatment helps. And by the way, we don't know that. Right. So subclinical atrial fibrillation, the treatment of that, whether it's anticoagulation or ablation, whatever it is, has not been shown to be efficacious yet. There's ongoing studies to try to do that and answer that question. So the notion that we screen a lot of people who are not previously diagnosed is still a question. And, and as a matter of fact, the USPTF this year said, No ECG screening is indicated, even over 65. In this study, the one thing that jumped out to me is they only looked at the people over 65. 64% of those notifications were in people less than 65. Those didn't get evaluated. So, really, the positive predictive value of notifications was only of those over 65. The average age, if you pick that up, was 41 of people in the study. So, most of the people who got notifications. We're not over 65. What about them? I I don't know. What we know is is that if you look for something in a low prevalence population, no matter how good your test is, your false positives will be greater than your true Mm -hmm. positives. That's just a fact. So will that create more burden on physicians? Most of those people under 65 don't have a cardiologist, by the way. So if they reach out to someone, they're reaching out to a GP Will that GP, what are they going to do? I mean, it's you know we're not in a, uh, everybody doesn't have enough work to do environment in cardiology. So I, I think, uh, I look at it and say we're at the beginning. This is a, just a first step, and I applaud Apple for taking this first step. And I think they will be joined. We already know that Google and <coughs> Samsung and Microsoft and, and Amazon and all these large companies that have not traditionally been in medicine are going to be in medicine And they make products that delight the users. You love your Apple Watch. We love our iPhones. We love our our iMacs. And uh, we love our Google search. And and so I think this has the potential to change medicine. And what I hope is, is that it changes it for the good, and that it makes it less expensive, more inclusive, more available. That's my goal. That's my hope. And Roxanne, yeah, yeah. and just
4: a comment about the predictive value, because the positive predictive value, because they presented the tachogram predictive value, which is a 7,1 percent, and then a little bit higher when you, you the patch with the patch, with the notification together. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the whole process from patients who got the notification and then got a patch and then got a FIB, that is only 34 percent. And 15 percent already had AF, that's right and it still got into the study. So if you think about about 20-25 percent of positive predictive value if you do a rough math, is that high enough for us to be convinced that this is worthwhile? What's the yield? But he he
3: said it. We're going to get this data anyway. People love these devices. They're going to buy them themselves. They're going to use them. And I think the biggest question is then how to turn data into useful, actionable information Correct. because nobody wants to see three inches of Fitbit daily activity, <laughs> but it could be very useful for us, yeah. but, but, but we can't. We got our 15 minutes twice a year, so we've, yeah. got, to, we've got to turn that into something that helps us.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I, I really truly believe that the extension of care beyond the office visit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: down the line at home, and then a continuation of that is going to be incredibly important. Patients want it, physicians want it, and for us in clinical trials, the ability to find these patients, Mm -hmm. the follow-up, the ability to screen and put them into the study, I mean these are really phenomenal uh, possibilities that are coming down the pike. But you know this is Rock's Heart Radio so it's not always about science, it's about like learning a little bit more about you guys just for a couple minutes more. First of all, you are Dr. Albert, impeccably dressed, and I just <laughs> love those socks. And I'm going to say, I was thinking more, the same thing. I'm a little bit upset that the boys here on this panel are not wearing the socks, uh, the fun socks that most people like. I buy my husband fun socks like that, and he loves it now. And he's very wear. conservative. <laughs> But I'm you not. are impeccably dressed. Oh well, thank you. You look
2: great. No, I, I wasn't even completely paying attention because I was admiring <laughs> the fact that his bow tie, cufflinks, and, and socks, the socks are all perfectly coordinated. Perfectly coordinated. You know, I mean, it, it really—he said
1: he was, anal compulsive. <laughs> no, he did no, tell us that. No, no, but he measured I, I, his I was blood pressure eight times today, guys. No, no,
2: but I was admiring it actually. I mean, it's it, it's really very beautifully color coordinated. That's right. Oh. No, you look great. I, I've been
3: married for 35 years, so I get a lot of help. <laughs> wow, that's
1: great. Well. I, I I do the same, but I'm not as coordinated. I just buy the socks, and I'm hoping my husband uses them. <laughs> and, and they're really they're good ones now, with uh, with with great uh, comfort socks that are fashionable as well. So, and Bray, you are gonna listen to some jazz music. What are you gonna do uh, in New Orleans, or are you just gonna? I'm gonna
0: go to back to back to back meetings, really? and then I'm gonna fly out. Yeah, are you? Oh, yeah, I have to be at an FDA girls meeting. Girls need so. to have more fun, yeah. though, right? <laughs>
1: I, I want to really thank you for what you do with the FDA, with, C, with CTTI, is mm-hmm. that correct? The Clinical Trials Transformation, Transformation, Transformation Initiative, initiative which is something that you have spearheaded and, and for years now
0: yes Uh, so I've moved though more over to the Duke Clinical Research Institute where I still work on city projects but I'm not um, I'm not a leader or an employee of city any longer so they're still doing great work and in mobile clinical trials so city actually does have a new framework for what do we do with this information and and how do we apply it to regulatory applications
1: And Renato, you've got, he's presenting Augustus, and he's very dressed up, and what's, what are you going to look like tomorrow? I, I, it's tomorrow, right?
0: It's tomorrow,
4: and funny yeah. because I don't like ties, and I love my tennis shoes, so I try to use only those type of, you know, jacket yeah. without a tie and on tennis shoes. So now people are watching me and seeing me around and saying, who are you?
1: Well, I just want to <laughs> say I love the bow tie, so... Is there any chance for you to get it? You're not a bow tie guy. No, I don't I'm think sugar, I've ever seen. You're at the Brigham uh, Harvard. Th- there they're the, all wearing yeah, bow ties. There are a lot there. of bow
2: ties there on campus. But when I wear a tux, I wear a bow tie. But that's about the only I time. See,
1: well, you know, we'll have to see if. We I, I was get an, an
2: undergrad at Harvard, so there
1: you go. <laughs> it it kept, that's where it kept I going.
3: <laughs> I actually, I started wearing bow ties at Duke. So ah, I went okay. to medical school and engineering graduate school at Duke. So. Oh,
1: jeez, you really have the yeah. pedigree. Wow. I'm so I'm, I feel very privileged to have you here. Thank you for, thank you for being here. Welcome well, I, to our show. You know, this Did was a like great. Did you like it? Thank you. It's thank so you for inviting fun. me. Love having you. Please come back again. And we're signing off. Rocks Heart Radio. Thank you all for being here. Oh, great, thank great to you. be here. Great.
2: Thank you. Thank you.